Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Madrid, Spain, with my new friend Janelle Norman of the Escape to Spain podcast. Janelle moved to Spain from the U.S. about 20 years ago for the experience of living abroad. She fell in love with the country, the people, and the lifestyle, and can't imagine living anywhere else. In this episode, we talk about eating tapas, going flamingo dancing, and viewing modern art at the Reina Sofia. You're about these three incredible attractions and so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Madrid. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Don't you just hate waiting in line for security at the airport? Me too. Even the pre-check lines are slammed most of the time today. That's why I use Clear to skip the lines and get to my flight quicker. For my listeners, I've actually worked out a special deal where you can try Clear for free for two months. This is a limited time offer, so go to wetravelthere.com forward slash clear to sign up today. Hey, Janelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Lee. Absolutely. So today we're talking about Madrid, Spain, and I've flown through Madrid and I had a stopover one night on the way back from Paris, but I never got a chance to actually explore Madrid and everything I've heard has been wonderful and I'm super excited to hear what your tips are. So that way when I actually do make a trip and actually stop in Madrid and explore, that way I can do all the fun things. Yes, great. I hope that you can come back sometime. Yes, you need to come and visit. There's a lot to do and lots to see. Awesome. I can't wait to hear all about it. So what's your connection to Madrid? Well, originally I was a Spanish major. I studied Spanish in college and I'm from the United United States, from Minnesota. And I wanted to have the experience of living abroad. I had studied abroad in Granada, Spain, and I loved it, but it wasn't enough time. I wanted to spend more time. So I came to Madrid without a job and without very many contacts. And I was able to get a job teaching English. And that was 20 years ago. And I've just stayed since then. And I started working in the travel industry. I just fell in love with the country and the people and the lifestyle. And I just really love living here. And so that's, I guess, how it all started. Oh, that's so awesome. And I'm, we got connected through Travel Massive. And, and so we're obviously both in the, the travel side of things. And so it's wonderful that you've, you've kind of created that life there. And what do you love most about being in Madrid? I love the city because it's very approachable, very walkable. I like that I don't have to have a car. You can get around the city very easily. Although it's a very big city, it doesn't feel overwhelming, especially when you're visiting. It's The old quarter is is not very big and it's just really lovely. I lived in New York for a year and I just you just get tired thinking from, from of going from one part to the other. And I don't feel <laughs> that in Madrid. <laughs> Yet you still have, you have the arts, you have museums, you have concerts, there's uh, so much going on. So it's kind of like a small New York in that sense. Oh, sure, sure. And so when you flew over there, and obviously, like you said, you were studying Spanish in college, and you want to kind of immerse yourself in a language. But obviously, a lot of the listeners don't have that background. They don't, they're not studying Spanish, and, and maybe they know a few words. For somebody like that, when they come over to Madrid, is it going to be hard or easy for them, the fact that they don't really speak much Spanish? I think it's helpful to know a little bit of Spanish, 
But, you know, nowadays, a lot of people are learning English in school. I think things have changed. Even in the 20 years that I've lived here, I've noticed the younger people do speak English a lot more. So especially in the service industry, it's really not a problem if you only speak English and you don't know much Spanish. But it is helpful to say hola, adios, hasta luego, and, and things like that in Spanish. Oh, for sure. Donde está el baño, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to know where the bathroom's at. But yeah, I think it's one of those things that no matter what country you go to, even if they do speak English and it is pretty prevalent, knowing a few words of the local language and or a few phrases basically shows the the locals that you are trying and, and trying to be part of their culture, not just bringing your culture with you into that country, right? Right. Yes. And Spanish people love connection too. So I think it really helps feeling that you're connecting with someone and speaking to them they 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 really love it if you try to speak their language because some of them are quite embarrassed about speaking english many people have told me they they feel embarrassed about their english so they love it when other people try to speak their language too yeah i think that's one of the things that i think we all need to remember is that they're probably a little self-conscious trying to speak english because especially english is like such a tough language with all of our quirky rules and everything like that but also you know obviously we're a little self-conscious trying to speak the language of whatever country we're visiting. Yeah. It's a common problem, but if, if you're both trying, it, it all works out. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we're coming into Madrid. You know, from what I know, like Madrid is one of like the, the best airports. If you're flying pretty much anywhere in Europe, that's going to be one of the hubs you're going to fly through on the way to whatever your destination is, right? Yes. So it's it's an easy city to arrive in. Any all of the airlines fly here practically. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, we actually we flew through Madrid on our way to Paris because we were using American airline miles and flying on Iberia and flying through Spain avoided the huge taxes by flying through Heathrow, and so we we saved like six hundred dollars a person by flying through Madrid than flying through Heathrow. So that was twenty four hundred dollars. I mean, that basically paid for the entire rest of the vacation. The rest of the just, trip <laughs> just by doing that. You, my wife, her family, they're from Spain and in the Basque region and everything. And so, oh, really? um, oh. yeah. Have you been there? No, I, I need to though, you know, so waiting for, waiting for travel to open up again so I can really start going out there and exploring a lot more, but Madrid and Basque and uh, Valencia, I, that was one of the episodes we did before as well. And so many amazing cities in Spain that I, I think we're just have to spend like an entire month to be able to visit them all, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. So when we fly into Madrid and then getting from Madrid to from the airport to the city and then getting around the city, I know you said it's pretty walkable, but from the airport to the actual city itself, is there public transportation? Is there taxis? Like, do we rent a car? What's the best way to get around? Well, it depends. I mean, since I always suggest that people take a taxi from the airport, because if you're coming into Madrid, you're probably maybe beginning your trip or ending but from the airport, I would suggest taking a taxi. It's 30 euros. It's a flat fee to any of the central hotels within the M30. There's a ring road around the city called the M30. So as long as it, you're in that area, which almost everyone will be staying in that part of the city, yeah, 30 euros. Otherwise, apart from that, you can take the metro, which is the subway. And there's also a commuter train from the T4 airport uh, terminal. And that is one of the options to come into the city. There's also a bus. Okay. So plenty of options there. I know a lot of people are really like favorable to like Uber and Lyft and those type of things. Is Uber running in, in Madrid? 
Uber is running in Madrid. I believe you can get it from the airport, but I actually need to check that. Okay. Uber is great, though, in the city because the cars are all really nice cars. They're all run by transport companies. This was something that the Spanish government didn't allow Uber to come in like it is in the States where people can use their own cars. The taxi associations protested that a lot. And so it was not allowed by law for people to do it in their own cars. So it had to be totally redone because Uber did start originally and then it had to it was canceled for a couple of years, and then they were allowed to come back. Oh, okay, okay. So you're not doing a, a side hustle with a, riding, driving for Uber. It's, it's basically just like any other taxi company. Right. So Uber has professional drivers. Usually they're wearing a suit. Usually the car is a Prius or a Mercedes or some really nice car. And they have, sometimes they'll give you a bottle of water, and it's great. And sometimes cheaper than a taxi, depending on the time of day. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what is uh, the Blaba? Is that like a, that's a, like a rideshare company also? Yes, there's a rideshare called Blabla Car, as in blah blah, like when you're speaking to someone. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a way for people, uh, usually um, young people, actually all ages, to go between cities. Like if you are in Madrid and you want to go to the Basque Country, you want to go to Bilbao, you can check on the Blabla Car site, and if someone is driving to Bilbao. In their own car, they would put, I have two seats available in my car. And then usually it's like 30 euros or depending what the person wants to charge to go from Madrid to Bilbao, for example. Okay. Yeah. So it's not really, it's more like a, a shuttle service versus like a, like, a, like a taxi service. Yeah. It's not like a taxi service. So someone will say, I'm leaving at 12 o'clock from the central point in Madrid if you want to come and then they have to accept you kind of like Airbnb where that person can see your profile and see what kind of reviews you have before they accept you in their car. Oh, that's really good. Now, speaking of Air, uh, Airbnbs, when we're staying in Madrid, should we get something like an Airbnb or should we stay at one of the hotels, like maybe a boutique or maybe one of like the major brands like, you know, IHG or Hilton or Hyatt? There are a ton of options in Madrid for where to stay. It's hard to say. It depends on what your budget is and what you're looking for. Airbnb, you know, there are a lot of Airbnbs in the city. There's a little bit of a controversy about Airbnb because it's because of the existence of it. It's driving up the prices for people renting. So especially in places like Barcelona, the locals are very against Airbnb and there's a lot of protests against it. In Madrid there's not as many protests but it does it does affect locals but I mean there are a lot of really nice options. If for people that are looking for something with a kitchen and I totally understand wanting to travel that way as well. Oh for sure. Yeah, I've actually never stayed in an Airbnb. Like it sounds appealing but I I love using miles and points for my travel so I never get around to I never never get around to that. So I I stick with more of like the major brands. But I also love seeing a boutique, like you know, just having those unique experiences that you can only find in certain cities. So do you have a couple of recommendations for like just the really nice hotels that kind of have that, that local flavor? Yeah, sure. There's actually a new hotel in Madrid that at first I thought, oh no, they're building a hotel in the Plaza Mayor, in the main square of Madrid. You know, this historical plaza that was built 400 years ago and there has never been a hotel in the plaza, but now there is. It just opened 
February of 2020. So one month before Spain went into the, the oh, lockdown no. for COVID, they opened after, you know, like a four-year renovation. It's called the Pestana Palace Plaza Mayor. And it's a four-star, I believe, but the prices are more four to five-star. I did stay there. I wanted to check it out. They had a sale last summer. And it's really beautiful. It has a small rooftop pool that you can, you're can. you looking over the rooftops of the city. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's great. They have a spa in the basement, That's just, and, and they've maintained the old structure of the, the stone bricks in the basement area with the arches, and it's really relaxing and beautiful. And they've actually done a really nice job with the way that they've restored the building. The rooms are really nice. And they have a lot of little details like Goya was a famous painter who lived in Madrid and he painted Madrid. And so they have some of the wallpaper is based on some of his etchings and drawings and paintings. And the colors in the interiors are reflective of the colors that you can find in the Plaza Mayor. So it's very, it's very well done and very well thought out. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it when they can repurpose like an older building like that, where it still keeps the, the charm, but still gives you some of like the modern amenities that you that you want when you're traveling and staying in someplace nice. So you mentioned the, you mentioned some of the art and everything, and I'm sure that Madrid has some really amazing like museums like showcasing some of that artwork. What are some of like the ones you recommend? Well, most people when they come to Madrid, they definitely will want to go to the Prado Museum. And the Reina Sofia Museum. And I can't mention those without mentioning the third main museum, which is the Thyssen Museum. And all three of those are very close to each other. But I would definitely say you would want to go to the Reina Sofia to see some of the modern art, some really famous Dali and Picasso paintings, Miro, things like that. And in the Prado Museum, you have the Spanish masters, the classics, you have Velázquez and Goya and a lot of Flemish work as well. Anyway, it's it's and it's a huge museum and definitely one of the the must-sees in, in Europe. Oh, for sure. Uh, I know there's something called the Madrid card. Is that something that we would get to be able to gain access to those museums or is that something that you recommend getting the Madrid card? You can get the Madrid card and it does include transport as well and entrance to other museums and things like the Royal Palace. But I think it depends on how much you're planning to do. It might be worth it just to buy the tickets online directly at each museum, depending on how many. Because if you're not going to go that many, I don't know if it's necessarily worth it to get the Madrid card, but it depends because I think a lot of those, a lot of those cards, like the Madrid card and other cities like Paris and, and London and everything, you gain access to a lot of attractions, but it's only for three days or five days or seven days, whatever like duration you buy, right? Right. That makes a lot of sense. If you do, I think yeah, they might have a forty-eight hour one, and the, I don't know because I find that you can walk around so much of the old quarter of the city. You don't really need the public transport to get around the areas that you might visit as a tourist. So you almost don't need it. Yeah. I think that's part of that. That's probably probably part of the charm of, of walking through like those old parts of the, the cities. It's just walking and exploring without having an agenda. Right. And just seeing what you can find along the way and, I'm sure there's some pretty amazing parks that maybe you, you're going to just walk by and, and you may not have otherwise uh, had it on your itinerary, right? Right. Yeah, that definitely can happen. <laughs> 
one of the parks that I think that's uh, that's there is called the Retiro Park. Yes, the Retiro Park. It's on the other side of the Prado Museum from the old quarter, and it's a huge park. If you like to run, if you want to run around the whole park, it's a couple of miles, so it's a good and it's it's a little bit on a hill, so you get a good workout there. And but it's a great park to do people watching, to have a picnic. There's a, a pond in the middle that has some boats that you can rent if you want to row around on the lake. And there's also some art exhibits sometimes, depending. There's a glass building that's called the Crystal Palace. And there's a beautiful little pond in front of it. That's my favorite part of the park to go to for a picnic, actually. Oh, that sounds amazing. You mentioned being able to run and work out. I'm those. I'm one of those guys, like, I always bring, like, shorts and, like, shirt, like, thinking I'm going to work out. but my biggest workout is is, you know walking around and and exploring the cities more than actually running and everything that but it's good like i know some of our listeners are really into like running and like marathon training and those types of things so it's good to know that that's an that's an option for them now before we go i I know there's some other things we want to be able to talk out as far as like just a really amazing food that's in in madrid you know i was doing some research and and every all the dishes i saw just looked absolutely wonderful so like, let's talk about some of the things, some of the places we should go eat uh, while we're there in Madrid. So what are some of your favorites? Oh, I have a lot of favorites. It's hard to narrow it down. <laughs> but <laughs> do you want me to talk about the food or where to go to get the food? Let's, uh, let's talk about where to go. So like, I know there's one called like, uh, Mercado de Anton Martin. Yes, Mercado de Anton Martin is kind of a place that not a lot of people visit on their first visit. It's a traditional market. It's right next to the Anton Martin metro station. And the reason that I like it is because it's it's not really touristy. It has some restaurants within the market. So you, you're kind of sometimes sitting in the aisle of the market, maybe <laughs> next to a florist eating really amazing Italian food, for example. There's an Italian restaurant. There is a Michelin star chef who has opened up a little restaurant also in the market. It's called Doppelganger. And the tasting menu is about 40 euros. And he has a mix of different kinds of food there. And it's 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 really fun to try it. And it just opened right before the pandemic as well. And they've stayed open during the pandemic. I've eaten there twice already. Um, (laughs) so it's, it's a, it's a fun place to try out. And in that market, they also have a Japanese place for sushi. And I think they have a Thai place as well. So it's kind of, you know, that kind of mix. And then there's also traditional stands where you can buy meat or you can buy deli products. So it's kind of a mix of the new and the old in that market. Oh, sure. Like we were talking about earlier with like the Airbnbs and everything. Maybe you want to buy some food to either go out to the park and have a picnic or take it back to your to your flat and uh, have some food be able to cook meals like later on. The market sounds like a great place for my wife because she doesn't want to like just pick at one spot. She wants to be able to kind of, you know, nibble on a bunch of different things, but from a bunch of different places. And that sounds like a, like a great idea for that. Yeah, it's great. And I also should mention the other market that is the Mercado de San Miguel, and that's right next to the the Plaza Mayor. And it is a restored market that they've taken this old iron building from from over 100 years ago, and they have 
restored it and it's beautiful inside. It's a great place to go for tapas, although it's very busy. It's kind of, you know, this new modern style of a market where, you know, you can go to, go to the cheese part and they'll give you something to eat right there. So it's more like a mix between a market and a tapas place. You can get glasses of wine and you can get the different stalls will have different things on offer that you can buy to eat right there. Okay. So that one sounds like more like a grab and go versus like the other one is, is more like sit down at each of these different places. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. What are some other places that we should we should check out while we're there for, for food? Yes. I also really like to recommend the La Latina neighborhood. It's just down going down from the Plaza Mayor. And it's really charming. Right al- along the streets, Cava Baja, Cava Alta. Around there, there's great vibe. There's a lot of different restaurants for tapas. There's two that I really like because they have good wines by the glass. And that's one is called Tempranillo, which is a type of grape that's grown in Spain. And I also like Casa Lucas. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've heard of Tempranillo. Like, I know that's a wine that I see in the, on the shelves here in the U.S. And, and I didn't know that there's actually a, a restaurant there. So that's good to know. Well, I saw something called, that's uh, like the oldest restaurant in the world, Botin. Yes, Botin. This is, I think it was originally opened in the 1700s. So it's the longest continually running restaurant in the world. And it's famous because Hemingway wrote about it in his book, The Sun Also Rises. And actually, there's many places in Madrid that Hemingway has eaten and that are still open that you can go to. So a lot of people like to do the Hemingway route as well. But Botin is great. It it is a little bit touristy, but I know people from outside of Madrid that are Spanish from other cities in Madrid, that they like to go there too, because it's really typical Castilian center of Spain type of food, roasts and, you know, heavy food to keep you warm in the winter type mm-hmm. of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great experience. It's, it's good, even though it might be a little more expensive than what you could get in other restaurants around the city, but sure. it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes you pay a little extra for that experience. Like you said, like eating in the same place that Hemingway ate and everything else like that. Like saving money on, on certain parts of your trips, that way you can splurge on others. I mean, that's really, it's all about that trade-off. Yeah. All right, so a couple of things. Before we head out for the day, is there a good place to, to grab a really good breakfast? A really good breakfast? Actually, Spain is a difficult place to go out for breakfast because we don't have the typical kind of breakfast that you might expect in the U.S., like a brunch scene. Although there are a few places that you can get an American-style brunch, but mainly what people do is they go to – you can go to practically any cafe in the city and they'll have café con leche, coffee with milk, and they'll do different kinds of toast for you and – so many places also have fresh squeezed orange juice. This is kind of a standard. And if you see a machine for squeezing oranges, then you know that this is the type of place that I'm talking about, that they'll have maybe a a breakfast option, which will include all three of those. And maybe it will be around five euros for the toast and the coffee and the orange juice. So that's kind of a typical thing that people will have for their first breakfast. Then there's also the second breakfast which happens a little bit later in the morning, around 11 o'clock. And then you can go to the same kind of bars and cafes and get a tortilla española, which is the potato omelet with potatoes and eggs and sometimes onions. 
And that's what people have for their second breakfast. Uh, <laughs> so I'm wrapping my head around the fact that we're having two breakfasts and everything. Okay. I know my kids love to have like that mid-morning snack. So I guess it kind of makes sense with having two breakfasts and everything. Yes, because usually what people do is they'll have just a coffee at home and then maybe a croissant or something really small. And then they'll go to the office. And then around 10.30 or 11 is when you get hungry again. And so then you'll have kind of more of a, you know, maybe you'll have toast or maybe you'll have a... The tortilla or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What happens if we want like a, like, you know, same with my kids and they want like a, something like sweet or something like really kind of tasty in the afternoon? Where would we go for that? Oh, there is a great place right in the center. It's right in, I mean, everyone will see it because it's right in Sol, the Plaza del Sol, Puerta del Sol. It's called the Mallorquina and they have pastries wonderful pastries. And one of the famous ones in Madrid to get is called a Napolitana. And it's a pastry with chocolate in the middle or cream, but I like the chocolate one. Oh, yeah, nice. My son loves chocolate. So I think he'll, he'll be getting that one. Say if I'm, I'm on a trip with my wife and we want to go out like either dancing ourselves or go watch like a flamenco dancing show or something like that. Where would we go for that? Oh, yes. There's a few different places for flamenco in Madrid. I would say if you want kind of a special night and a really nice place is Corral de la Moreria. And this is actually really close to some nice views of the cathedral, which is connected more or less to where the royal palace is. But Corral de la Moreria has a great show and their their food is actually very good as well. So it's really nice. It's a little more pricey than some of the other ones because you can have the dinner there as well. And I do recommend having the dinner, even though it's more expensive, because you will get better seating as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't want to be up in the nosebleeds. like you know, the, the... <laughs> <laughs> Or at least it's at the back of the room, you know, if you're not eating there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You're like looking past the back of everybody's heads and like, I'm not the tall guy, right? So I'd right. be like looking at the back of somebody's head <laughs> yeah. the entire show. So, well, awesome. Well, Janelle, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips for Madrid. I've learned a lot and I just can't wait to come visit and everything. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal in Madrid, where should they go and what should they eat? Okay, this is a non-standard answer, but I'm not going to say a restaurant specifically. But one of the things that you have to try in Madrid is the bocadillo de calamari, which is sandwich with a fried calamari. And it has a lot of bread and a lot of calamari and you think that it, it's too many carbs but it actually works and it's pretty good the <laughs> typical thing is to get it near the plaza mayor there is a place called la ideal that they cost like three euros or 350 i think it is at the moment <laughs> so it's it's a it's a cheap meal but this is what people love to do even even spaniards that don't live in madrid they love to come into the center and that's kind of a main destination is to have the bocadillo de calamares oh fantastic my, my wife loves calamari so we'll definitely have to check that out now you've lived in madrid for around 20 years or so like obviously you have some great stories what's one of your most memorable Oh, I do have a lot of stories, but at the moment, the most memorable one is in January 2021, we had the biggest snowfall in more than 50 years that they've ever had in Madrid. We got two feet of snow, 50 centimeters of snow, and it was crazy. There were people skiing down Gran Via. There were people cross-country skiing. I was in Seoul and I saw a, a guy with crampons on, you know, as if he were, you know, climbing a glacier or oh. something. 
And there was a huge snowball fight, and the city was pretty much paralyzed for about a week. So it was definitely an interesting time. And you can find really amazing um, pictures online of, of Madrid in a way that nobody has ever seen it before. <laughs> That is so awesome. I'm sure like that snowball fight must have just been the, the most fun ever. There was hundreds of people. And during COVID, and it was not following COVID restrictions, and they were out past the time they were supposed to be out, and the police came and everything. But I think yeah, everything, everyone was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, speaking of happy times and happy memories, where's the place for the happiest happy hour in Madrid? Happy hour is also difficult in the sense of the American sense, it's not really a typical thing. And I, I was actually talking with some friends about this. But the thing is, is that they don't really need happy hour here because everybody already does it. This is ingrained in society that you go after work, you go out for a caña or a little beer and have a tapa, tapas culture. And so it's a really typical thing that people will go out and get a tapa. Sometimes they're free with the drink, not all the time, especially in Madrid, they're not always free. But this is pretty much all around Spain. It's a typical thing to do before your evening meal. So there are really a lot of places to get it. If you find a restaurant that's actually open at around seven o'clock, then it's a tapas place because actual sit down restaurants usually don't open until a little bit later. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, if we want to kind of partake in the, that fun, where would we go? What would you recommend? There's actually a lot of places around Seoul. There's a plaza called Plaza Santa Ana that has a lot of places near there. Between Seoul and Plaza Santa Ana, there are many options. I also really like La Latina, which I've mentioned before, and even up into some other neighborhoods such as Malasaña, which is kind of the hipster neighborhood, a little bit north of where Gran Villa is. That's a really fun place to go as well. That sounds fun. I'm sure we, uh, we'll have a lot of fun checking out all these places and find one that, that just kind of suits us. So. One of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in, in Madrid? Pepperoni. I don't think you can get the same kind of pepperoni in Spain that you can get in the U.S., but you can get some great pizzas. You have to look for a wood-burning wood burning oven because pizzas, I wouldn't say, are really the specialty in Spain. But I would say look for one of the Italian places. There's a couple of different options. You have one that's called NAP, N-A-P, and they have a wood-burning ovens, and they have a couple of different locations in the center. That's more for a cheaper pizza. So maybe, you know, nine euros for a, a pizza that's for one person. So it's the cheaper option. Um, but if you want something maybe a little bit nicer, there's another uh, restaurant called Fratelli Figurato. And that one has some really nice pizzas as well. It's a little bit, a little bit of a nicer place as well. Okay, I love, uh, I love having options. That sounds amazing. <laughs> now, like I said, we know each other from Travel Massive, and uh, you know you're putting together a podcast that has all these amazing tips for for Spain and Portugal and everything. So, what's one of your best travel tips? Well, my tip is really about being curious and being flexible when we travel to really set aside what we think is going to happen, what we necessarily want to happen, but to kind of ask the question, why is this happening? Or what could be the reason? Or let's, let me find out more. And, and I think that really can create really great experiences. And as a, a specific Spain-based idea of this, I really think it's great to try to make a connection with someone. Even if you have 
you're going to have to complain about something or something like that, I think you'll get a much better reaction. And people will, in Spain at least, I think, pay attention if you have a complaint to if you're trying to show them your humanity as well. I mean, in the sense of, you know, when I was in New York, people, you know, directly will say, oh, I need to speak with the manager and kind of act a little bit angry about what they're mad about. But that doesn't work in Spain. And what really works, though, is to say, oh, look, I'm having this problem. Can you believe it? Or, you know, to try to make a connection with the person. And that will change everything. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's all about being genuine, you know, and right. that's the way to make the connections. And that's the way that people are going to help you out more versus like kind of being a jerk about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because if people are kind of a jerk about it, the reaction here tends to be, oh, well, I'm not going to help them then. <laughs> like even in the service industry, like, why do I need to help them if they're acting like that? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, Janelle, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then maybe even a little bit about your podcast? Sure. Yes. So I have worked in the travel industry here in Spain for the past 14 years, and I work planning trips in Spain and in Portugal and, you know, designing mostly private trips for people that want something a little bit special and a little bit different. And so I'm starting a new podcast. It's called Escape to Spain. And it's where I'm interviewing and talking to people who work in the travel industry, people like travel guides, local guides, chefs. We're going to be talking to some hotels and different suppliers that have different things. I've interviewed someone with, they have olive groves and they make high quality olive oil. And so there's a lot of uh, different things like that to really have deep dives into different parts of the country. Well, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And if somebody has questions about Madrid or about your podcast, what's the best way to reach you on social media? Sure. They can reach me. The podcast is at escapetospain.net. And you can also find me on Instagram. My personal account is tapas in Spain because I love eating and I love tapas. So <laughs> you can reach me there as well. Well, fantastic. Janelle, I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Sure. Thank you so much, Lee. Hope to see you here soon. What a fun conversation with Janelle. Sadly, I've only been to Madrid Airport on a layover and didn't get to enjoy the city. I'd love to go back and explore someday. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash Madrid. We want to say thank you to Clear for being today's affiliate partner. Clear keeps you moving through airports, stadiums, and more with their exclusive touchless ID verification technology. Take advantage of our special limited time offer where you can try Clear free for two months. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Clear to sign up today. Join us next time as we head to Denver, Colorado to seek my new friend Mitch Creighton of CreightonOnTravel.com. In this episode, Mitch and I talk about the America Beer Festival, touring the Denver Mint, and the unsinkable Molly Brown. You'll be join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app so that we don't miss any of our upcoming destinations.